So we'll be in Matthew 23 today. I'm going to start back our series in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew. 57 Sundays, if you believe it. 57 Sundays we spent through the book of Matthew. And we got about 17 more until we're finished. So we, we spent 57 Sundays going through the journey of the Gospel of Matthew, looking at the good news of Jesus, why, who He is, what He came to do. And we pick back up here in Matthew 23, and we'll, this is really focusing in on Jesus' journey to the cross. So each day, each Sunday, each week, each chapter is one step closer to Jesus going to the cross. So we'll be following along His journey there. We did take a break during the, during the summer. We took 10 Sundays to go through 10 different psalms. And my current vision as of right now is we do that every summer. I really enjoyed that, uh, to do, do the, the summer in the psalms. And so we'll do 10, 10 psalms every summer, and we'll be done in 15 years of the whole Psalter. So we've got long-term goals there. And I've basically broken each section of the book of Matthew going forward about 15 to 20 verses. So that seemed like a good chunk of Scripture to get the context of what's going on, but also small enough to get to the details and be able to explain some things in those passages. Because one of my emphasis in my preaching is to rightly explain the Word of God. And to do that, I need some time to explain the, the Scriptures and explain the context and to see what's going on there. And I had Nick read for a call to worship Nehemiah 8 this morning uh, for a couple of reasons. One, to see the importance of the Word of God in worship. And two, it connects to Jesus' critique of the Pharisees that we'll see in Matthew 23. Because the Pharisees were supposed to be the teachers of the law. They were supposed to be the ones explaining God's Word to the people, uh, but they were failing miserably. We want to learn from their mistakes. And before we get into Matthew uh, 23 proper, I want to give us some context, a, a little review of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, so we'll start with a, a short review uh, going to Matthew 121. And if you want the title of the sermon, it's Be Humble and Serve. So Be Humble and Serve, Matthew 23, 1-12. So to get there, we need to start back. Let's look at the thesis statement of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, the central point. What does Jesus come to do? What's the point of all this? It says this, She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. What did he come to do? Because he will save his people from their sins. That is Jesus' main goal, main focus. That is his ministry. That is his mission. He's come to save his people from their sins. And the way he does that is he lives in a perfect, obedient life on his way to the cross to die for sinners. And throughout Jesus' life, he was not only obedient to God's moral, his ethical will, he was also obedient to fulfill the prophecies of God in the Old Testament. He was concerning the Messiah, the, the promised Savior, the promised one to come to save the people from their sins. Jesus showed that he was this promised one over and over again, how he fulfilled the scriptures. We've also, also seen Jesus perform miracles of healings. He casted out demons, even bringing people back to life, offering help and salvation to all peoples, Jew and Gentile. And we'll see that very clearly as at the end of gospel, the Matthew, Matthew's gospel. We have seen people recognize Jesus for who he is and respond appropriately in worship and bow down in worshiping him. As we saw Peter proclaim in the central passage of Matthew 16, 
When Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter gets it right by God's grace and God's enlightening, opening his eyes. Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's who Jesus is. That's what Matthew's trying to tell us over and over again, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the son of God. Jesus trained and taught his 12 disciples in warning them of future persecution. Even though Jesus is the Messiah, he will be persecuted. That is the way he will save his people is through his death. And his followers will be persecuted just the same. However, not everyone believed Jesus was the Messiah. Namely, the religious leaders of the day, the scribes, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees. They were against him. They were against Jesus. They wanted to get rid of him, plotted to kill him. Despite the opposition of those who were supposed to be teaching the law of God. They were supposed to be leading the people to the Messiah. Teaching them who Jesus was. Instead, they went against Jesus. Despite all this, Jesus taught the people with great authority. Jesus showed that he was better than the Pharisees and the scribes. He was the true teacher. We saw in his great sermon on the mount, his wonderful teaching there. He even corrected the Pharisees' actions and teachings in Matthew 16. We saw Jesus turn over the tables in the temple because they made it a den of thieves instead of a house of prayer. Jesus continues to confront the religious leaders, escaping their tricks until he finally puts an end to their arguments and trickery by quoting Psalm 110, showing that for, for a very clear picture in Psalm 110 that he is the promised Messiah, that he is the Lord, the Messiah. As we saw uh, a few weeks ago in Matthew 22, verse 46, It's not in there, my bad. We'll get to that. All right, Matthew twenty-two forty-six. He says, No one was able to answer him at all, and from that day, no one dared to question him anymore. So Jesus quotes Psalm 110. He's like, This is about me. I'm the Lord, I'm the Messiah, and no one was able to question him anymore. And so this is where we get into Matthew 23. We pick back up at the story. Jesus continues his journey to the cross, and he goes on the offensive against the scribes and the Pharisees. And really what we'll notice He's not even really arguing against the Pharisees per se, but he turns to the crowd and turns to his disciples and say, don't do what they did. They're not listening. I've tried to, to talk since to them, but they're not listening. So I'm going to explain it to you. And so he's talking to us today as well. And we have uh, three main points today. First, we'll see Jesus give a warning against man-made traditions. A warning against man-made traditions in one through four. Second, he gives a warning against pride, a warning against pride. And those two are very closely related. Because if you're prideful, you're going to lift up your own expectations, your own man-made traditions because of your pride. You're going to lift that up to being equal with God's law. And then third, we'll see that humbleness leads to exaltation. Humbleness leads to exaltation. So first, the warning against man-made traditions. As we begin Matthew 23... Starting in verse 1. Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. And the scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. That is, Moses is the one who uh, wrote the law of God, the first five books of the Old Testament. And the scribes and Pharisees are, were supposed to be seated in the chair, either a literal or metaphorical chair, to be teaching the law of God. That was their job. That was what they were supposed to be doing. But were they doing that? Not so much. 
they were doing. We'll see Jesus, you know, attribute some. Uh, they did some good things, but as we'll see, they did not do what they should have been doing. Verse three it says, "Therefore, do whatever they tell you, and observe it." This is a really interesting passage here because of if all the scribes and the Pharisees have all the things they've done, and all their even wrong teaching, as Jesus has pointed out before, not to follow everything that they say. He says, do whatever they tell you. So we must understand what Jesus is saying here in, as a qualified statement, in, in clear uh, contrast to his warnings elsewhere, even in verse 4, as we'll see. So what I think what Jesus is pointing out is, in verse 2, they're supposed to be teaching the law of Moses. They're supposed to be teaching God's word. And so, in effect, when he says, do whatever they tell you, that is, as long as they're teaching the word of God, do that. If they're teaching God's word, follow that. But as he goes on to say, don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. You ever heard that phrase before? Do as I say, not as I do. Have you ever said that to somebody before? I know I have. I, had, I said that just last week. We were up in the sound booth and I was putting in my scriptures last minute. I'm supposed to do it a couple of days before. And our youth pastor, Nick, was up there and I said, Nick, don't do this. <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. Work ahead. Don't do it in the last minute. Now, it's very interesting, again, that Jesus commends the crowds to follow the scribes and Pharisees' teaching because he already warned them that you need to be aware of the scribes and Pharisees' teaching. We see that in Matthew sixteen twelve. He says, Then they understood that they had not told them to beware of the leaven and the bread, but beware of what? We, they need to beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Again, proof that we, we need to take Jesus' statement qualified here. Clearly, they're not to do everything the Pharisees say, because Jesus point, will point out in the next verse, in verse 4, that the Pharisees actually added to the law of God. In verse 4, it says, They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry. Those are these extra burdens, these extra laws that he put on the people. And they put them, the, put them on the people's shoulders. But they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. Given that Jesus clearly warns against the scribes and Pharisees teaching, we must understand his statement in verse 3. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it as a qualified statement of his corrections and warnings. The point is this, that Jesus is making that the scribes and Pharisees were responsible for teaching the word of God. They were seated on the chair, seated on the chair of Moses. They were supposed to be teaching God's law, not man-made traditions. And not only that, they were supposed to be practicing what they preached. As we see in verse 3, they, he, Jesus warns, we are not to be like them, not to do, uh, don't do what they do, because they don't practice what they teach. And Jesus will give us examples of what not to do. First, we don't need to load people down with man-made traditions and expectations. We, don't need to, we, not, we are not to be a people of burden, but a people of lifting people up and encouraging so first, don't load people down with man-made traditions and expectations, because that's what the scribes and Pharisees did. As Jesus told them in verse 4, it says, They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders. In Jesus' time, the heavy loads and burdens, including things like extra laws of the Sabbath, like you couldn't walk a certain amount of distance, you couldn't lift this, you couldn't do that. All these extra laws of the Sabbath, cleanliness laws, laws and regulations that made it very difficult for the people to live. And to add to the burden, the Pharisees didn't even attempt to help them. 
It says that they, were, they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They weren't trying to help the people. They were not doing these laws for their benefit, but they were trying to bring them down. Because if you bring others down, that lifts yourself up. It makes you look better. If everyone else is failing in the law, but you can do all the extra laws that you came up with on your own, then you'll feel better about yourself. So for us today, and in our context here at Union Chapel, what burdens do we add to people that are not a part of God's word? What additional preferences, man-made traditions, what things do we want other people to do or not do to make us feel better? Or things that we tell other people to do or not do to tear people down, to add another burden to someone's life. What kind of things do we do like that? And I get it. Everybody has their own opinion and preference. So do I. And I have to fight against the urge to criticize. I have to fight against the temptation to tear people down. It's easy to see the flaws. It's easy to point out the failures in people. But we need to ask ourselves two questions before we criticize, before we correct someone. First, is our heart in the right place? That is, are we doing this? Are we, is this a correction? Are we doing this to tear someone down, to make our fail, ourselves feel better? If so, you don't need to correct someone if your heart isn't in the right place. Second, is the criticism born from a preference or born from a man-made tradition? In other words, is it, from, is it your own opinion or is it from the law of God? Yes, because we are supposed to point out sin and call people to repentance so they can live God's way. But we can't confuse man-made tradition and God's law. Those are two very different things. We cannot call someone to carry a burden that God has not called them to carry. We do not need to add extra laws and burdens on people. The point is this. Over and over again, the, script, the scriptures teach us to build one another up, to encourage, to bless, to thank one another. In a world of darkness, we need to be a light, a place of encouragement. As Hebrews 10.24 says, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. It is important to gather together. Why? Because we need to gather together so we can encourage one another. But encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. We need to be encouragers. We cannot treat our man-made traditions and preferences as equal to God's word, as the scribes and Pharisees were doing. The second point today Jesus warns against is pride. Because that's what the Pharisees were prideful as well. So Jesus says in verse 5, they do everything to be seen by others. The more laws they could add to the people, the more the people failed at keeping up, made the religious leaders look better. And they say, look at me. I'm doing all the things that I made up to do. <laughs> and, G and our service is not to look better. Our service in the church, our service is to God, not to impress other people. This should be an encouragement to us because we're, our service is ultimately to God, not to others. Jesus mentions that the Pharisees did three things so that they could be seen by others. First, says the Pharisees enlarged their phylacteries and lengthened their tassels. Now, the phylacteries were leather boxes uh, that men, Jewish men tied to their upper forearm um, and then on their, their forehead. 
And in the box was written scriptures. And they get this from Deuteronomy 6, uh, which, which was, we'll, 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 we'll turn to Deuteronomy 6, 8, 6, 6, and 8. It says, these words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. So the premise of it is God wants you to meditate on God, his word. He wants you to put his word into their hearts. And to help you do this, he gives you some practical ways to do that. And in verse 8, he says, bind them, that is God's word, as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. So the point was that they were to meditate on God's word. Instead, the Pharisees used this as an opportunity to show how good they were by making their scripture boxes ridiculously big. So look how much scripture I know, right? It's not the point, right? It's not the point for everyone to look at you and say, look how much scripture you know. And like the scripture boxes, uh, they had white tassels. This is from Numbers 15, 39 through 40. And these tassels were uh, white cords on each, a white cord wrapped with a blue cord on each of the four corners of their robe. And it was to remind them of their obligation to keep God's commands and pursue a life of holiness. That was the purpose, to remind them to, of God's word. But what did they do? They're like, I'm just going to make it real long so everyone knows how holy I am. They used something good to make themselves look better, right? So, we, so for us, we don't have these. We don't, I don't know if any of y'all that have these. But what y'all do have, most of you, is a Facebook account, right? Or... We need to question our hearts and check our hearts when we post things on social media or when we talk to people about things. Ask ourselves, why are we talking about this? Why am I posting this? Am I trying to advertise my greatness? Am I trying to advertise my holiness to others? It's not about us. And the same thing goes as well. We don't need to jump to criticism and jump jump to judgment when someone post a Bible verse or post something on social media, like, oh, they're just trying to be more holy. No, I mean, you got to be reasonable, right? Don't go the other extreme and be a judgment, judging everyone else. Check your own heart before someone else's. The second thing the Pharisees did to draw attention to themselves, Jesus said in verse 6, he says, they love the place of honor at banquets and the front seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by the people. Again, the problem was that they had the, the desire behind the actions. Why did they want the best places? Why did they want to be called rabbi? It was so that everyone could see them. They had pride. They wanted everyone to recognize how great and high status they were. But Jesus says we're not to be like that. We're not to live for the applause. We're not to live for recognition. And we're like the Pharisees a lot of the time, thinking that the, the world revolves around us. If we do something, I want to be recognized for it. If we, if, we, if we do a great thing, we want everyone to know. Our lives should not be pointing to us, but our lives should be pointing to God. We need to be reflecting God's glory, not our own. God is in the spotlight. We are in the background. As Lecrae sung about in a song called Background, he says, talking about God, you take the leading role, I'll play the background. I don't need my name in lights. I don't need a starring role. Why gain the whole wide world if I'm just going to lose my soul? What is our intention? Are we trying to be in the spotlight? And as the Apostle Paul says it even better in Ephesians 6, 6, don't work while being watched as people pleasers. Don't work while being watched as people pleasers. The temptation is real. 
But what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to live as slaves of Christ. Do God's will from your heart, not to please other people. Jesus makes this point clearly in the next, in the next verses that we should be making much of God, not much of ourselves. He says in verse 8, he says, you're not to be called rabbi because why? Because you have one teacher. It's God, right? And you are all brothers and sisters. We are equal, right? You don't need to lift yourself above them. We're all brothers and sisters. Verse 9, Jesus says, do not call on earth, your, anyone on earth your father because you have one father who is in heaven. Again, he, he shifts the argument now, not only don't have other people call you, but also don't lift other people up higher than they ought to be. And we'll get to that, go into that more in a second. And then verse 10, you're not to be called instructors either because you have one instructor, the Messiah. Again, the point is God is ultimate, we are not. God is in the spotlight, we are not. They wanted, use, wanted to use these titles such as rabbi, father, instructor, to make much of themselves. Again, it goes back to the intention of their heart. There was nothing wrong in and of itself to call your dad your father. Because Paul calls himself a spiritual father to those in the faith in 1 Corinthians 4.15. And you don't need to have a guilty conscience of calling someone a teacher, as Paul refers to teachers in Ephesians 4.11. The point is, that, in, like for example, Matthew 23, verse 8, the point is that we should not be seeking glory for ourselves in these titles. In effect, we don't need to be elevating ourselves to the place of God, who is the ultimate teacher, who is the perfect father. This is a special warning to those leaders and teachers in the church. As he said, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, we have different roles. Yes, we have different responsibilities. But we all have one father, one authority. We all serve to glorify God, not any human leader or teacher. Not only does Jesus give this warning to the teachers and leaders, but he also gives the warning to the congregation, to those following the teachers and leaders. He says in verse 9, Do not call anyone on earth your father. While leaders of the church have a responsibility, a responsibility to be humble and lead humbly, his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ have a responsibility as well, not to lift them up higher than they ought to be. Jesus gives the warning to the church body, to the congregation, not to lift the leaders to the place of God. Pastors, preachers, and teachers are not infallible. That means they are not perfect. They make mistakes. They sin. They do not have ultimate authority. While pastors and leaders of the church do have authority in the church, as Hebrew 13, 13:17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them, pastors and leaders are, are not the ultimate authority. And why do the why do the pastors and leaders have this uh, authority? Since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. That is the responsibility. That has a great weighty responsibilities of leaders in the church. Ultimately, pastors and leaders are underneath the authority of God, underneath the authority of God's word. They are mere under shepherds, as Jesus is the chief shepherd. First Peter five four. So, members of Union Chapel. Hear Jesus' words again, verse 9. Do not call anyone on earth your father, because you have one father who is in heaven. It has always been and will be, until Christ returns, the human sinful inclination to exalt fellow humans higher than they ought to be. We see this with people in the Old Testament. 
as they wanted a human king like the nations instead of having God as their king. We see this throughout time and even today, putting people, putting people, having people there as their ultimate trust in a human political leader, in a human preacher or teacher, putting their ultimate trust in them. We even see this in temptation in churches when people put their ultimate trust in a church leader or pastor. Leaders of a church are a gift of God to serve the church, not to rule over it with a heavy hand, not employing his opinions or preferences on the people, and especially not putting his opinions out as if they were divinely appointed. And it can be easy for many people to lift this kind of church leader up and bow down before them because of their eloquent speech or dynamic personality. We see this over and over again where churches would put somebody up and they would, no matter what they do, no matter if they disqualify themselves from ministry, um, they would still, because of their eloquent speech or dynamic personality or for how much, quote unquote, how much good they've done for the kingdom, they would elevate them up to, to beyond where they should be. Pastors and leaders of the church should be known for their ability to rightly teach and explain the word of God, not elevate themselves above his brothers and sisters, and guilt them into following man-made commands. Instead, how should we be? And Jesus teaches us that humbleness leads to exaltation. In our last two verses here in verse 11, he says, The greatest among you will be your servant. Jesus' teaching will sound paradoxical to many. This sounds crazy. This doesn't make any sense. How are you going to be great if you're a servant? This happened the other day when my parents were leaving on a trip with their RV to come up to North Carolina to serve at the summer camp. And they were, somebody asked, where are you going? And they told them, we're going to go serve at the summer camp for two weeks. We're going to do laundry. We'll clean the bathroom, serve lunch. And they looked at them like, why would you do that? That sounds terrible. Because they understood that serving is better than being served. They understood that greatness, true greatness, is to serve. And this person did not understand that. It didn't make sense to them. We've already seen this teaching of Jesus twice in the book of Matthew. Matthew 18 and Matthew 20. This is a very important teaching. In Jesus' time and for us today, when the temptation of pride, the temptation of power, and status are still very prevalent, this should also be an encouragement to those who serve, whose work goes unnoticed. Or even if your work as a servant gets criticized, because your humble service is not for them. Your humble service is not for recognition, but out of obedience to Christ. And knowing that God sees you, and he applauds you for your service. You are great in God's eyes if you are serving him. This should also encourage us to serve one another even more, knowing this is true greatness. This is what God is pleased with. This should also encourage us to see as great what God sees as great. We should encourage those who serve because God says the servant is great. Tell them how much we appreciate their service and consider them as great just as God does. Not only should we be encouraged by Jesus' teaching of true greatness, Jesus concludes with another warning, but also a promise. In verse 12, he says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Again, Jesus came to save us from our sins. And one of those sins that seeks to entangle us is the sin of pride, the sin of self-exaltation. A counselor was once asked, What problems do you see most? He said, Depression, anxiety, anger, marital conflict all make the cut. 
But my top answer may surprise you. It's pride. Why? Because pride, because of pride, we exalt our opinions, we exalt our preferences to be on the same level as God's word. Because of our pride, we think others, we think of ourselves better than others. We see every error in everyone else while ignoring the plank in our own eye. Because of pride, the focus of service is not on others, but we seek to serve ourselves. We, can get, we want everyone to serve us because of our pride. Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, to death on a cross, to save us from this sin of pride. Let us not be ruled by pride any longer. For those who have not trusted in Jesus as their Savior and have never repented of their sin, Jesus warns that there will be a day in which you will be humbled. He says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. If you think that you are sinless, that you have no problem, you will be humbled one day, and it will be too late for you then. Hear Jesus' warning. Humble yourself before God. Recognize your sin before him. Recognize your sin of pride. That you have fallen short of God's perfection. And Jesus, has pro- Jesus promises you, you will be exalted to eternal life if you humble yourself. And to humble yourself means to recognize your sin for what it is. Confess it to God. Have sorrow over your sin. And trust in Jesus' sacrificial death for your sin for forgiveness and salvation from your sin. So in response to God's word today, will we humble ourselves? Will we serve him and serve one another? Or will we continue in our pride and exalt ourselves? Will we put others down? Will we focus on their sins and their errors instead of our own? By the grace of God, let us imitate God and Savior Jesus as we conclude here in Philippians 2. Six, this is the ultimate picture of humbleness and exaltation. Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is our Savior, our Lord. We, we follow and imitate him. He humbled himself and was exalted. If we humble ourselves, we also will be exalted, brought into eternal life. So as as the worship band comes up and leads us in a song of response, I want you to respond uh, and confess any sins of pride to the Lord. Repent of any, any other sins. Repent of any pride. And then worship God because he has forgiven us through Christ. Forgiven us of all our times where we have... Puts, uh, put others down, forgiven us all those times that we've laid a burden on someone that we shouldn't have. God is forgiving, and he's forgiven us of all our sins through Jesus. So respond in worship and confession of sin during this time. <laughs>